you for listening to this message from the North Gate. Thank you. You can be seated. If we give anything, it probably should be to Tilani and Sissy. Um, just amazing, amazing what the Lord did through you girls tonight. Just absolutely amazing. Now I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to let that be a springboard for us tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about transgenerational consciousness. And I love what, you can just keep passing the buckets while I ramble a little bit, but I love what Jimmy said, and I think it's so such a profound witness of the measure of the kingdom we are inheriting, is that if I took you to any one of our houses, the generation that normally sits on the sideline until they get older are actually the spearhead of what the Lord's doing, not just in our house in Mobile, but in South Carolina, in Georgia, in Florida, in Kentucky, as I look around the room. And so it's just such an incredible thing to witness, you know, Tina's posture in facing the next generation and mothering them into this flow. And then a CJ who said, I'm not saying nothing right now. CJ goes and leans up against the wall and is like, lets this sound come. And it's just incredible. We're much of what we've prophesied about and believed for was not waiting on the timing of the Lord. It was waiting on us to actually make space to see some things become fulfillment. There's going to be a great and powerful generation, the generation Jacob, oh, Jacob, generation that seeks your face. And they didn't have any space to do any of that. They were stuck in a back room with some hipster youth pastor babysitting them instead of being given permission to flow and to be and to do all that the Father has placed on the inside of them. So we just celebrate this and so proud of all of you that were you that, that just were jumping in there and being you. That's what I love about it. You're able to just be you. You didn't have to have three verses and a bridge and a chorus. It was just what's bubbling in you in the moment. And so I'm so proud of you. I'm so incredibly proud of you, not not because of your gifting simply, but because of your uniqueness and the authenticity I see in you is just absolutely amazing. So we're going to go back to Matthew 13. I may take a little bump in volume tonight, if you don't mind, because I've been in Ohio. Heat is on everywhere, and we don't have heat where we, we don't use heat where we live. So my whole head is like, why has hot air been blowing in my face for two days? My body's going, what is going on? Tammy and I laid on the beach for five hours the day before we left to come here. And it's like, now we're here and it's flurrying a little bit today and it's almost May. And I just want you to know the interstate goes south from here. (laughs) Matthew 13 And we're going to begin reading in verse 44. I feel like I need to get down this path a little ways, especially in light of uh, what the Holy Spirit said through Tilani tonight. And I'm going to just reference that over and over. But the word of the Lord through Tilani was, get ready, the new you is coming. And when she said it, I saw four streams come out of her mouth. The stream number one was to Jimmy and Tina. Stream number two was to our kingdom family at large. Stream number three was to the North Gate. And stream number four was to Streetsboro. Get ready. The new you is coming. 
And we are learning that as one individual sets themselves to come into agreement with that declaration, it becomes a prophecy to all of those that have ears to hear. The change is coming. The change for the culture is the new you as a son. So get ready. The new you is coming. The new you is being unveiled as the new you is being discovered. So I'm going to read a little bit of what I read last night, and then we'll jump into this Matthew 13 narrative. It's, it's pretty cool because we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on a bunch of different verses. It's just pretty. Matter of fact, I'll read the verses first. We'll do it a little different tonight. Let's start here in verse 44. Heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there was hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. Heaven's kingdom realm is also like a jewel merchant in search of rare pearls. When he discovered one very precious and exquisite pearl, he immediately gave up all that he had in exchange for it. Now, I had a dream. Uh, if you weren't here last night, who wasn't here last night? Who wasn't here last night? Tonight's your first. Okay, so there are quite a few of you. So uh, I had a dream the night before the morning of our departing flight, getting ready to come into Ohio. And I was in a, a large a room of, prob- I say large, there were probably 1,000 a, a to 1,200 uh, people in this room. It was an all glass room. We were in a mountain setting. We were not outdoors. We were completely glassed in in an atrium type venue. And I was sitting like I do, and I was speaking, and I made this declaration to those people. I said, what if the treasure failed to accept that she was mesmerizing to the merchant? And that led me, that's all, that's all I said in the dream. I woke up, that immediately led me to the merchant and the treasure portrayed here in Matthew 13. What if the treasure fails to recognize and accept that she's mesmerizing to the merchant. Now, we, we, we're able to flip the parable around and get it right based on, first of all, we should be able to do it just based on good hermeneutics and exegesis, and we can go through Matthew 13 and find out in the parables of Matthew 13, when it talks about the man, it's talking about Jesus. Matter of fact, the heading above chapter 13 is the parable of Jesus, Jesus being the man. So instead of seeing Jesus as the treasure, you've got to accept that Jesus sees you as the treasure. Religion's only okay with one of those statements. Religion is perfectly fine with you finding value in him, but struggles with the necessity of us understanding how valuable he sees us. So Dr. Simmons gives us a beautiful, uh, just a little uh, breakdown of this, and he says these words. The most accepted interpretation of this parable is that Jesus is the treasure. But Jesus taught that the field is the world, in verse 38. The allegory breaks down, for a believer doesn't sell all he has, parentheses, works, and then buy 
and then, and then by the world to find Jesus, the treasure. Let me read that again. The most accepted interpretation of the parable is that Jesus is the treasure. But Jesus taught in verse 38 that the field is the world. The allegory breaks down for a believer does not sell all he has, parentheses works, and then buy the world to find Jesus, parentheses the treasure. It's more plausible to view the hidden treasure as a symbol of you and me. Are you with me? Jesus is the man who sold all that he owned, leaving his exalted place of glory to come and pay for the sin of the world with his own blood, just so he could have you, his treasure. Heaven's kingdom realm is experienced when we realize what a great price Jesus places on our souls, for he gave his sacred blood for us. Let's read the verses again. Heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there was hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. Heaven's kingdom realm is also like a jewel merchant in search of rare pearls. When he, the merchant, discovered one very precious and exquisite pearl, that very precious there can be translated unique, he immediately gave up all he had in exchange for it. All right, now we're gonna re- I'm going to read this to you and then we're going to jump in and we're going to wrap everything around two thoughts tonight. What One is this. What happens if the treasure fails to accept that she's mesmerizing to the merchant? The next thought is get ready, a new you is coming. There's a new you hidden in this acceptance. And the new you you've efforted and strived and tried to upright yourself in order to get to is actually inherited when you accept the lavish degree of love that he places upon you as the jewel, the treasure, the pearl that mesmerizes the merchant. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil and ended his authority. Now the Holy Spirit authorizes you and I to function in our authority. If we abdicate that authority, then the enemy is permitted to use what we leave lying around. Not knowing who the Holy Spirit is empowering us to be, get ready, a new you is coming. Not knowing who the Holy Spirit is empowering us to be and what the Holy Spirit is empowering us to do has had devastating consequences. Hmm. The purpose of this is not to educate our minds and thus fill our heads with right doctrines, but rather to equip us to engage in a higher measure of relational fellowship. The purpose of this, let me say it like this, theological promotion we're receiving as it relates to the nature of God is not to fill our heads with right doctrines, but rather to equip us to engage in a higher measure of relational fellowship. The Greek word for truth is not doctrine, but reality. It's how truth plays out relationally that matters. It's not the acquisition of more superficial head knowledge. It's how truth plays out relationally that matters. I'm receiving a personal breakthrough that is not possible without an elevated Trinitarian theology. However, the breakthrough is not an intellectual breakthrough, but a breakthrough in the arena of intimacy. 
Saying this, we then understand that we are not being equipped for elevated intellectual endeavors, nor are we being equipped to pontificate about things that are incapable of being understood by even the most novice amongst us. But rather, we are being reconditioned for an increased level of intimacy, in this case with the Holy Spirit. One of my principal points of influence, especially since 2009, I find it interesting, that's when Jimmy and I came into a relationship. I don't know if that's when I discovered Tina uh, or not, but I think it was a little later. That was when Jimmy was stalking me and it would know, and then, <laughs> then I met Tina and I said, okay, some things are worth it. So one of my, pri- <laughs> if you're like super hyper tender and sensitive, you won't work well in this family because we'll, we, we will skin each other alive in the name of love. One of my principal points of influence, especially since 2009, has been the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. Then how do I reconcile this with the Holy Spirit being the finisher of the curse? According to John 14, parakaleo, parakletos, when we begin to understand that, we begin to understand that the Holy Spirit is finishing the finished work. Theologians struggle with this, but they shouldn't because inside of theology is always present an already not yet understanding. Is it finished? Yes. Is it being finished? Yes. Is it going to be finished? Yes. Already not yet. The finished work of Christ. How do I reconcile the finished work of Christ with the Holy Spirit being the finisher of the curse? The finishing is fully accomplished, but the evidence of this finished work is waiting on you and I as the first fruits of the new creation to come into the revelation of our full status as sons. This immersion into the assurance of sonship happens by way of Holy Spirit. It's very clear in Galatians 4. It's very clear also in Romans 8. It's it's equally as clear in 2 Corinthians 3. In theological circles, we would call this again already not yet. 2 Corinthians 3, the last verse, is our glorious transformation comes from the Lord who is spirit. We often quote the where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's another part to this, and that is that our glorious, con, our glorious transformation, that word is really metamorpho, it's transfiguration. It's a word that's used for Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So our glorious metamorphosis comes from the Lord who is spirit. And the finishing of the curse is not you repeating a prayer so you don't die and go to hell. It's you being transformed into the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, the last verse, our glorious transformation comes from the Lord who is spirit. The check has already been written by Yeshua for a saved cosmos. Now you and I need to cash that check and initiate reclamation and colonization by the spirit as the pneumaticos of our original design. Pneumaticos simply means spirit man. We initiate, cash the check, reclamation and colonization by the spirit as we become the pneumaticos of our original design. Get ready. A new you is coming. The finished work of Jesus is brought to its full manifestation and intention in the man who under the government of the paraclete has and is becoming a fully restored image bearer of the very Christ who finished the curse. This is important. And you cannot get this on the top shelf of the Bible bookstore. He's helping us to do something more than, you know, get our doctrine in order. 
The man becomes a witness to the whole of creation that the great epocatastasis, restoration, is happening. Me first, you first, us first is the announcement to the entire cosmos that indeed we are returning to our original intent by way of an immersion into the assurance of beloved righteousness. Let me read this again and I'm going to shift. Me first, you first, us first. Four things came out of her mouth. When she made the declaration, get ready, a new you is coming. She was saying it to an individual. She was saying it to a marriage. She was saying it to a family. She was saying it to a church. She was saying it to the broader fellowship of spiritual sons and daughters that are planted around the world. And she was saying it into her city. Get ready. A new you is coming. She was saying it to Kentucky. She was saying it to Florida. She was saying it to Georgia. She was saying it to South Carolina. She was saying it to Iowa. She was saying it to Alabama. She was saying, get ready. A new you, West Virginia, is coming. Ho! Get ready. A new you is coming. Me first, you first, us first is the announcement to the entire cosmos that indeed we are returning to our original intent by way of an immersion into the assurance of beloved righteousness. Get ready, a new you is coming. The transition from law to grace is a necessary place to start, but not the right place to stop. The word grace is never mentioned in 2 Corinthians 3. However, the name spirit is mentioned five times, and it's mentioned six times in the Mirror Study Bible. We must move from the torment of the pedagogue's government into the rest and glory that comes as a result of being fully governed by the paraclete. The goal, after all, listen to this, was not just to set you free from the consequences of sin but rather to liberate you and I from a bankrupt identity. And the curse is not fully finished until we look like the Christ. The curse, after all, was the loss of the walk. The loss of the walk as a result of the misconceptions Adam had concerning the nature of God. Sin made space for these misconceptions. And when fellowship and her offspring union were lost, so was the image. The forfeited fellowship produced the forfeited image. Therefore, the whole of the cosmos is waiting to see the image again. The image of what? The image of a son who looks just like his father. The curse was and is, in essence, the loss of the walk. Quit letting the impoverished Christianity of the Western fundamentalists make the curse all about a legalistic notion of sin and a, and a pagan interpretation of hell, Hades, Gehenna, or Tartarus, all of which are unfortunately translated as hell in the King James. The Holy Spirit is baptizing you and I into a measure of assurance regarding the goodness of Abba as our principal belief regarding his nature a nature exclusively revealed in Jesus. How many of you would say that's happening to me? The Holy Spirit is baptizing me into a measure of assurance regarding the goodness of Abba as our principal belief regarding his nature, a nature exclusively revealed in Jesus. And subsequently, Holy Spirit is baptizing us into an assurance that can only come by way of the revelation that we are loved with the exact same nature and measure of love that Abba has for his beloved son, Jesus. Oh, the walk we are going to take from here. 
Oh, the renewal of unbridled fellowship and yes, union. All authority, if it's going to be of the kingdom, must, and yes, I mean must, flow from this place of renewed fellowship and union. The restoration of the walk is the finishing of the curse. And the secondary consequence of this will be that the cosmos is fully liberated from its chaos and futility. Get ready. A new you is coming. And we're, we can say that to the globe if we can say it to one son. We can legally say that to the whole cosmos if we can find one son coming out of shame, coming out of works, coming out of self-righteousness, coming out of legalism, being disconnected from uprighting ourselves. When that begins to happen, you'll know there's a yearning on tiptoe that begins to happen cosmically because there's an understanding that finally, finally, there's a group of teenagers that aren't coming every Wednesday night to hear about how pathetic they are and how they need to try harder. We're not asking them not to struggle. We're just asking them to know how loved they are while they do. And if they've not been taught how loved they are, then we as leaders will need perfect moralism from them in order to validate our ministries. But when you're a father, you don't need them to be perfect. You don't need them to never struggle. You don't need them to never mess up regardless of what age they are. You just need them to know shame never keeps them from walking in, opening up and saying, this is the place where I'm made whole. This is the place where I fit. This is home for me. Not the building, not the state, not the city, not the church, the presence is home for me. Amen. All right. So when we look back at the parable, reading it one more time, heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there was hidden treasure in a field upon finding it. He hid it again because of uncovering such treasure. He was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. Heaven's kingdom realm is also like a jewel merchant in search of rare pearls. When he discovered one very precious and exquisite pearl, he immediately gave up all that he had in exchange for it. Now, just just because I think I need to for one particular point I'm going to make. I'm going to read those same few verses out of the New Living Translation. This is Matthew 13 again, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. The reason I pointed that out is because we're going to take a journey in just a little while, and you're going to see, if you have a passion translation in front of you, you're going to see in parentheses, in uh, the B clause of verse 44, you'll see the words entire field, and then in uh, italicized, you'll see just so he could have the treasure. Now that, that's italicized because it's an insertion based on Dr. Simmons' assumptions regarding what the text was trying to communicate. It's not correct. He didn't just want the treasure. He wanted the field. It's clear he wanted the field because he did not try to get the treasure out of the field. 
He did not try to broker a deal whereby he could have the treasure, but the landowner could keep the field. He bought the entire field, not because he wanted the treasure. He bought the entire field because he wanted the whole field to look like the treasure. It's all about people, brother. It's all about people. It's all about people. That's not true. It's not all about people. It's all about everything. Until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Romans 8 is a picture of the cosmic groaning waiting on you and I to come into our full status as liberated sons so the cosmos can come into her full status as a liberated cosmic place to hold the glory of God. For after all, it we're to contend and continue to contend for the revelation of the kingdom until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. To the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is the journey that we're on and it happens one liberated son at a time. So as much as you and I were moved by these young ladies leading tonight, right? We're moved by these 13 and 14 year old girls leading us into the presence of the Lord tonight. What happens cosmically? When creation begins to look over into this and going, here's a group that are not interested in the things of God. They couldn't wait to get up here at 10 in the morning and pray. And they didn't pray for 30 minutes because you're supposed to pray. They prayed and they flowed and they moved and they came early and they prayed and they flowed and they moved. And although they were the ones holding the microphone, they actually had the backing of an entire company of people that are their family members, not just kingdom family members, actual family members saying to them, you go be all that you're designed to be because you're becoming another witness to the cosmic order that things that are in chaos are about to be set as they were designed to be. So here we go. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off last night. Get ready. A new you is coming. Let me skip this part. Let's get to this. Religion would love to make this story be a further validation for self-effort i.e. we pay the price. Sell everything, pay the price. How many of you were taught this parable that way? You find the treasure and sell everything in order to buy the field. And there is no representation anywhere in the Bible of Jesus ever being referenced as a field. The field is the world. The field is always the world. The man who's hungry to save the world is saving the world, watch this, by finding the treasure. You and I are the treasure. And if we don't accept we're mesmerizing to the merchant, we'll miss the glory of seeing the land respond to our identity. The land does not respond to our activity. The land does not respond to our strategy. The land only responds to our identity. The unveiling of the sons of God. It is sonship that creates cosmic shift, not evangelism, not missions, not giving. Those are all great things, but they have not shifted it yet because many times those things are being done because people don't feel like sons. And they want to do something effectively enough to bring a measure of validation and an attaboy on the back, which is what all of us who are raised in religion are actually looking for. And he's looking for a group of people that say, I am a moving manifestation of wholeness. And my wholeness is prophesying to every, not just broken person, but every broken thing. Yeah. 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 
God, that sounds a little bit better than church growth. God have mercy. Now all of a sudden when the missionaries begin to move and the evangelists begin to move and the prophets begin to move, they are not moving in order to accomplish a task. They are moving because in moving, they are revealing their identity. The real you is unfolding. Get ready. The new you is coming. I heard the word of the Lord tonight. I heard the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Beloved identity is you and I finally accepting the measure to which we are mesmerizing to the merchant. I want, I want to take beloved identity tonight, and I want to take it just this much further. Because we, we, we so are about beloved identity that we have the homestead of Mobile, Alabama. And under that, it says a kingdom family rooted in beloved identity. That's literally the, the, the identity or what we have, would have called back in the day the vision of our church. is a kingdom family rooted in beloved identity. Beloved identity is not that God has a nebulous, generic love for you just like he loves everything else. Beloved identity is you in the crosshairs of the mesmerized merchant who is so obsessively fascinated with you that he enfleshed himself to have fellowship with you. The word incarnation literally means enfleshment. It is the enfleshment of divinity to move into the realm of suffering, to move into the realm of pain, to move into the realm of betrayal, to stoop or to humble himself and to become, listen, susceptible to being in humanity's shoes. He humbled himself in that he became vulnerable to humanity's plight. The risk of heaven in the incarnation of the word of God is Jesus could have agreed with Adam. There was no guarantee that he wasn't going to fall into Adam's delusion. And I don't think the Garden of Gethsemane is about the cross. I think the Garden of Gethsemane is about Yeshua asking not to have to go that deeply into Adam's delusion. Don't make me go to the my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me place? Because I have never known you not being with me. But he had to fall far enough into Adam's delusion to undo Adam's mythological understanding of God. Heavy. But imported, not just, not just like, you know, theological pontification, that's never the goal. But the goal is to get you and I to understand how committed the Father was to getting us back. And beloved identity is showing you in the incarnation of the Word of God that God will stop at nothing in order to have you back into the circle of perfect shared fellowship and the mutual indwelling of the Father, Son, and Spirit that we now call perichoresis according to the patristic tradition. Perichoresis, the circle dance, peri where we get the word perimeter or we would say a periscope is a periscope. It means circle. And then we get the word choresis is where we get the word choreography. So literally you and I are being invited back into the circle dance of the mutual indwelling of such shared fellowship and intimacy that can literally only be declared as one. 
the Shema, behold, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, doesn't mean he was singular. It meant he was so joined that he would never be seen as independent from any other part of that Godhead. That's what's coming after you with perfect love. And that's what cast out all fear. Because if this group right here is finding me mesmerizing, I am not going to stress about one thing, not one more day. I am mesmerizing to the merchant. And I believe the father wants us to go beyond. He loves me. And I want the father to move us into such a measure of he loves me that it can't be whispered without the fear of the Lord. He loves me. Not some generic nebulous sense of love. Not some phileo. No, no, but agape. Other-oriented, self-giving love that is unwilling to stop anywhere short of you knowing how the, how the merchant feels about the treasure. Is that, is that helping? Let's don't let, I just don't want beloved identity to become what faith became in the church. Some watered down stuff that's what you use in order to try to get a nicer car. Nonsense. I don't want love to become generic. I want love to stay crazy. I want love to stay violent. I want love to stay intense. I don't want to say love of God and you think Hallmark Channel. I want to say love of God and you think enfleshment of the word of God until he came to fix our delusions about his father. Not just to save us from the penalty of hell, but to save us from the penalty of a bankrupt identity, which was you and I feeling too much shame to engage in the dance. I don't know if I'm going to get done tonight. I don't know. I feel like we're in some territory. Not, not, not about you not going to hell, about you no longer living in the hell of the separation that is a consequence of your own thinking. We were alienated, the Bible said, in our minds. Where was the alienation? In our thinking. What did Jesus come to announce? Repent. Change the way you think. John the Baptist, repent. Change the way you think. Why? I'm going to do something so significant in your thinking that you are now going to so feel like you belong that you are able to yield to the revelation that you are mesmerizing to the merchant. You've never not been mesmerizing to the merchant. And when you were their most dirty, covered up state you had ever been in, he saved the world because you were in it and he's going to use the save you to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For the son of man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. What does that mean? Condemnation is no way to get anything saved. For the son of man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might be saved. And most of us were taught he came the first time to save the world. The second time he's coming with the condemnation to judge the world. And he didn't do that the first time. And he was so successful in his original campaign that he's not going to have to change things in order to do something different the second time. The second time, according to Corinthians 15, is he's going to come put this final seal on this by dealing with the last enemy that is death. 
and he's going to equip every son in this room that knows they're mesmerizing to the merchant to finish every other issue until there's nothing left for him to do but come say, my kids finally got it done. My Tilani and my sissy are finally getting it done. And I, I, when I was weeping, looking at them tonight, the father said, will you let yourself be seen that way? As much, yeah, just what it is, as much pride as I feel concerning who they are. The father's saying, I am as mesmerized with you. I'm not mesmerized because you hit every note. I'm not mesmerized because you wrote a best-selling book. I'm not mesmerized because your song's at the top of the charts. I'm mesmerized because you finally feel comfortable enough in Abba's presence to just jump up there and be who you are and let the chips fall where they may. There's a room full of people that are not here to criticize me. They got my back at any cost. That's the difference in what we have in this kingdom family we ran the freaking music critics off a long time ago and we chose the next generation instead holy ghost beloved identity is you and i fully accepting the measure to which we are mesmerizing to the merchant i.e the father mesmerizing to the father failure to do so could cause us to miss the glory of the exchange You miss the spade we learned about last night that digs around and separates whatever from us that needs to be separated in order for us to, him to move us into the next phase, which we also sang about tonight, which is him washing, him cleansing, him saying, now that I caught you out of hiding, now that you were willing to come out of hiding, I clean you. I don't bring you out of hiding so you can clean yourself. I knew you couldn't clean yourself when I dug you up but I was too mesmerized to let you stay in hiding. So I had to bring you out of shame. I had to bring you out of guilt. I had to bring you out of a sense of unworthiness in order that I could begin to place my word upon you and you are washed by a word until you begin to shine and glean into the culture around you. So next phase of this, this is where this is gonna get a little interesting, is this. If sin is a bankrupt identity, Maybe hell is never getting free from that. If sin is not missing the mark, because it is not, hamartia, ha, negative or without, meros, form, it's a bankrupt identity. I got some strong notes on that. I can read you another time when we have time. But ha is without or negative. Meros is portion or form. A bankrupt or distorted identity. Sin is to live out of context with the blueprint of one's design. To live out of tune with Abba's harmony concerning you. It's to fail. Listen to this. Listen to me. Ready? Sin is to fail to agree that you're mesmerizing to the merchant. Why? Because he's singing this song over you and you're singing another song about yourself and he's saying in the end, my song wins over you. I'm right and you're wrong. And you may see yourself as a worthless piece of trash, but the incarnation of the word of God is an announcement otherwise. The price he paid is supposed to be the announcement of your value. 
He wasn't paying off the devil. The price had nothing to do with the devil. The devil was defeated before the story ever started. He was not dealing with the devil. He was dealing with the delusion. And the delusion was the only way the enemy had any empowerment to start with. If he could not get Eve to believe the lie, he could never have brokered his way into any planetary authority. And so the whole time he's been playing this game. His name is literally Diablos, which means trickster. It's manipulator. You know what the purest definition of the word Diablos or the name Diablos is? Slanderer. It's the purest definition of the name. Because what does he do? Slanders you to you. Slanderer. You're nothing. And Abba said, I'm determined to sing a song over you that drowns out the voice of the slanderer. You can't find a group of people that struggle with identity more than 13, 14-year-old girls. They're 13, 14-year-old girls. If any group of people should not want to be standing up on a platform knowing there's you know, 100 people and watch them in here and thousands of people eventually watch them online. I forgot to tell you all that. <laughs> they, don't, they weren't up here for performance. They were up here because they believe they're mesmerizing to the merchant. What is locked up in us? Because we're failing to accept that we're mesmerizing to the merchant. And what if that is sin? And therefore, repentance is not, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have and I never will again. Repentance is changing the way you're thinking, saying, you know what? I guess I am mesmerizing. (laughs) I guess I am beauty beyond measure. I guess I am his beloved. I guess I am the one he peers at the lattice through, according to Song of Solomon, and comes out at us with ferocity and intent. He is the intentional one. All right, it's a lot on beloved identity, but it's, we got to take beloved identity out of the Hallmark Channel. Don't get me started on the Hallmark channels. I can offend my wife. I can talk about politics. She don't care. Talk about the Hallmark Channel. It's on. All right, you ready? (laughs) The pearl or treasure did not have a vote as to whether it could or would be purchased. Jesus saved the world. A friend of mine wrote a book called Beauty Saved the World. Beauty that saved the world. The pearl did not have to repeat a prayer. It just had to be in the field that the merchant purchased. So does believing matter? Of course, because if you don't believe you're mesmerizing, it'll actually not do you any good to just be hidden in the field that was purchased. He did not purchase the field just so you could fall into some kind of all-inclusive state of deliverance from hell. Quit making that the point. Where do you stand on hell? Everybody wants to know where I stand on hell. I'll let you know when I stand somewhere on hell. Right now, I have another focus. And it sure as hell isn't hell. (laughs) I have a completely different focus. And it's the kingdom. And if you've got a gospel presentation that includes hell, it doesn't say anything about the kingdom, you have fallen short of a biblical definition of what it means to preach the gospel. Four, Four spiritual laws. 
God loves you. You're a sinner. Jesus died for you, and belief in Jesus will save you. So the four spiritual laws that have been taught from Bill Bright all the way down all these decades do not, in the four spiritual laws, ever mention the kingdom. And I just want to say to you, all four spiritual laws are true and completely miss the point. If you think you can have a spiritual law without the kingdom, which was not just the predominant message of Jesus, it was the whole message of Jesus. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. These parables are about the kingdom of God. They're about the kingdom of God. And what are you in the kingdom of God? You are royal ones that are going to have to accept we're mesmerizing or we're just going to keep handing out tracts and trying to grow our churches. And I'm not interested in any of that. As a matter of fact, it grosses me out. The pearl or treasure did not have a vote as to whether it could or would be purchased. Jesus paid the price, period. All right. However, the glory of the exchange would be the treasure experiencing the presence of the mesmerized merchant. Watch this. Didn't have a vote as to whether the field was purchased, but it did have to surrender in order to find its purpose, which was not to be hidden in the field. His purpose was to be experiencing face-to-face encounter with the mesmerized merchant. And ultimately, we learned last night, according to Isaiah 62, being the splendor in the palm of the hand of the mesmerized merchant. So the reason why we need some participation from the treasure is not so that the treasure can be a part of the salvation narrative. We have to redefine salvation in terms of a biblical definition of what it means to be sozoed, which does not mean you've repeated a prayer so you won't go to hell. We've got to rescue our soteriology from legalism. Soteriology is literally the study of salvation. So we have to rescue our soteriology from legalism to understand what he saved you from is actually not as important as what he saved you for. Because you'll make it all about hell. And we begin to sing tonight, we're in heaven. And I look around the room and see how many people are nervous. No, we're going to heaven one day. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's what religion taught you. And it made the ultimate destination for you to die and go to hell. Quiz time. Are you ready? Quiz time. Let me mess with you, you a little more than I already am. Okay, here's your quiz. If the ultimate is to die and go to heaven then will the people, according to your bankrupt theology, not mine, will the people that don't experience death but are alive when Jesus returns miss out on something because they never got to die and go to heaven? Isn't the ultimate to want to be the people on the planet when he comes? That sound better than dying? Those people are not going to heaven. Those people are going to be present as heaven comes to earth. Understand this. We are not surviving this in order to get to heaven. We are fixing this so heaven can come back home. This is the clear hermeneutic. Bible interpretation. This is just basic, solid, patristic eschatology. This is a group of people that understand. You and I are apostles. We're the advanced team. Apostle Mark's latest book has the greatest chapter on the apostolic of any book I've ever read. It's so simple, so concise, so straightforward, and anybody can get it, yet it gets the point across. And that is this. That is a naval term. 
Apostle's a naval term. It's not even a Bible term. They use it in the Bible, but it was brought from a naval. And this is what it looked like. There's a, there's a portion of the creation that's not yet been colonized by a decisive government. Therefore, they send an apostle, which literally means first ship. Sent one. The first ship sent to hit the ground and have to do the difficult work of teaching the culture what the government is like that's now going to rule over it. Therefore, you and I are an apostolic community of people that are the advanced team that are getting the whole planet ready to now come and experience the reign of Christ with 12 elders who sit upon thrones and judge over tribes and nations. This is what we're moving toward. And the Lord is saying, instead of a group of people making the all about leaving here. How about a group of people that make the ultimate about seeing this shine the way the treasure has learned to shine? And the treasure shines first. But he bought the whole field. And I think he bought the entire field. That line is an eschatological gem. This, when I saw this, it drove me crazy. It's an eschatological gem. Because he did not, watch this, find so much value in the treasure that he snatched or raptured it out of the field. He did not rapture the treasure out of the field. He bought the entire field and knew the treasure was the first fruits of the leaven that was going to invade the... I feel the Holy Ghost right now helping me help you understand. He did not rapture the treasure out of the field. Bible says this. It says, let me just mess with some rapture stuff. I feel like I'm in Ohio and I just need to do this. I need to help set you free. So here, here's what you need to understand. How many of you know this, were taught the story that two will be grinding together at the meal, one will be taken, the other will be left? Right? One will be taken, the other will left. All of us were taught we're the ones taken. But the story goes on to say, as it was in the days of Noah. Does anybody think the good people got snatched away in the story of Noah? Then why do you think you're the one getting snatched away? Congratulations, you've been left behind. And if you listen, if that bothers you, you have a problem with the Bible. Because it is clear that doctrine of the rapture did not exist until about 150 years ago. And it was created by a man who fell off his horse and hit his head. That's a true story. And came up with this delusion God was going to snatch everybody off the planet. The early church did not believe God was going to snatch them off the planet. They believed they were going to become like the next Methuselahs that lived for 900 years. Many of them believed that they would never die. And there is going to be a generation that never dies because they'll experience the return of the Lord with the stamp of its exclamation point that says it's official. Death is no more. And the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. He did not snatch the treasure out of the field. He bought the field and said, I'm going to teach the treasure who she is, and the treasure is going to teach the field. I'm going to awaken the treasure to the greatness within her, and the treasure is going to awaken the field to the greatness in her. So she wasn't just singing to Jimmy and Tina, and she wasn't just singing to the Northgate, and she wasn't just singing to the broader family that is connected to Tammy and I as a mom and dad. She was singing to her city. She was singing to this region. Get ready. 
Get ready. Why? Because now that I'm coming alive, you better hear the announcement. I'm the first trumpet sound. (laughs) Oh, this is so much better news than repeat this prayer right now. Or when you come home and you say, Mom... And no one answers. The fear and terror of having been left behind falls upon you. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You're walking in, Mom, Mom, Mom! God, I just get on the plane. God, let one of these pilots be an unbeliever. Because <laughs> I don't need both of them to be snatched out of here. <laughs> Pictures of abandoned cars on the streets because all the good people have been snatched away. If it sounds stupid, it is. It is. It's brought millions and billions of dollars to fear-mongering preachers who have no idea how to teach a group of people that they are mesmerizing to the merchant. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear carries with it the anticipation of punishment, and the individual anticipating punishment has not yet been perfected in love. Perfect love. This is going to prepare you to rule and reign. This is going to prepare you to become governors instead of church members. I don't mean in a political sense. I mean governing and ruling the winds, governing and ruling the land, governing and ruling darkness by being such a pure, shining example of light that you quit living your life hoping to God you meant it enough when you repeated the prayer that you're in the snatched out group. Thank you, Jesus, for healing us. Ready? The glory of the exchange is the treasure experiencing the presence of the mesmerized merchant as well as ultimately being held by the merchant and saturated in the merchant's fascination. This is the gospel. How important then is beloved identity? You are splendor, Isaiah 62, held in the palm of Abba. Equally present in the story is the revelation of righteousness. Let me touch this and we'll move on. Equally present is the revelation of righteousness. How do I know that? He paid the price and gave up everything and sold everything so that you could know how valuable you are. He was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field so he could have the treasure. He immediately gave up all that he had in exchange for the treasure. That means you have all the value now because he put all the value on you. You're as righteous as God, or you're completely unrighteous because there are no degrees of righteousness. You're either perfectly righteous or you're completely unrighteous. Therefore, nobody in this room can be any more righteous than anybody else in the room. You're either perfectly, you're a 10 or a zero. Your righteousness is as filthy rags or you are as righteous as God. And it is an impossibility for you to grow in righteousness. You get his from Jump Street. And where you grow is not in becoming more righteous. It's in becoming more aware of your righteousness, which is why we need teaching so that people can begin to understand how righteous you are because he's going to put you in his hand. He's going to dig you up out of the dirt. He's going to put you in his hand and you better know you're righteous because this isn't going to be like he's holding you in his hand. God is going to hold you in the palm of his hand. 
and you better know you belong there. This is some Hebrews 10, Hebrews 11. Go boldly before the throne of grace. Make your petitions known unto God. You've got to begin to understand that God does not become less transcendent in order to be imminently present with us. He's bringing that transcendence to us in a place of imminent encounter. And we're having to understand he's going to hold me in his hand, but I don't need to be ashamed to be there. And I don't need to be afraid to be there. I need to be in awe. I need to be in unbelievable respect. I need to be shaken to the core at the reality of this, but I do not need to feel like I don't belong there. This is what I was born for. And he saw it in me before I saw it in me. And he's demanding by way of the gospel and presence that I agree with his perspective. He's demanding by way of the gospel and presence that I agree with his perspective. It's really important. Again, to point this out before I move into the next part of that. He buys the entire field is a necessary eschatological gem. Eschatology simply means the study of the end of things. So he buys the entire field is a necessary eschatological gem. He doesn't remove the treasure from the field. He buys the entire field. Watch this. Listen, are you hanging? Not in order to ultimately remove the treasure out of the field, thus turning the field over to abandonment and destruction. His intention is for the nature of the entire field to reflect the unique and mesmerizing nature of the treasure and pearl. His end is for the entire field, which we know according to verse 38 of Matthew 13 is the world. He wants the entire world to reflect the nature of the treasure. The world cannot reflect the nature of a treasure who does not agree she's mesmerizing. You and I are going to have to let ourselves be loved if the cosmos is going to let itself be restructured. That's an important statement. The measure to which we let ourselves be loved will actually be the measure to which the cosmos is able to accept her promotion into her pre-designed intention. If I don't believe I'm an Adam who's able to walk with him in the cool of the day, then Eden will never be able to become the paradise she was designed to be. Let's go. Let's go. You hanging? Are y'all tired? Okay. I know this is a lot, but it's important. His intention is for the nature of the entire field to reflect the unique and mesmerizing nature of the treasure or pearl. Let Let me put it this way. The mesmerizing treasure is the leaven that is intended to awaken the pre-designed intention of the glorious field. There were no deserts in initial creation. But this is what happens when there's no sun present to tell that land what she's supposed to be. It's what Daniel called desolation. Creation reflects currently an absence of sonship. And everywhere suns begin to rise in the confidence of beloved identity and the revelation of perfect righteousness, you are going to, according to Isaiah, start to see geographic, ecological, an environmental impact had by the way of the treasure accepting she's mesmerizing. How do I know this? There'll be no more night and day. How do I know this? The lion will lay down with the lamb. 
a child will stick its hand into a den of cobras and they'll have no harm come to them. Well, that's after the return of Jesus. Let me prove to you that you're wrong. It says that a centurion will be considered one who dies young in that day. So there's still people dying while there's a child sticking its hand in a den of cobras. There's still people dying while a lamb lays down with a lion. There's still people dying while streams pop up in the desert. There's still people dying where the jackal howls no more. While that's all going on, people are still dying. That's what you and I are on the current progression towards, and Jesus doesn't need to do another thing in order to make that happen. He, we need to let the Holy Spirit be the finisher of the curse. And if he finishes curse thinking in me, then we can start to see a cosmic shift in the planetary curse that came as a consequence of no sons knowing who they were. We had a completely storm-free hurricane season in Mobile for the first time in over 75 years, the year we moved to the homestead. Could, could, it could be coincidence. I understand that. It's 365 days in a year times 75. That's pretty high faith on your part to believe it's a consequence. I don't think I have that much faith. I think it's earthquakes. I think it's famines. I think it's floods. I think it's tornadoes. I think it's hurricanes. And instead of you and I sitting back, going, the end must be near, praise God. It's really good news because we wanted to get out of here anyway so he could judge all the liberals and homosexuals. Right? Let's get, now let's be honest about how you really think. Let's be honest about how people really think. Take my guns from me. Some of you ain't smart enough to have a gun. I'm just be honest with you. I think you should have to pass a test. And I'm pretty sure a lot of the people in my family who have guns couldn't pass the test. <laughs> oh, God. If you got out of jail day before yesterday, you probably don't need to go to a gun show and get a bump stock. But by God, don't let them take our guns away, brother. In Jesus' name. I want just as many guns as Jesus had. Jesus has one follower bring a sword into a garden and rebukes him for it. And you want to talk about a just war? They were trying to arrest the Son of God, and Jesus said, we still don't roll that way around here. They're trying to kill Jesus, and the disciples asked for permission to do what Elijah did which is called down fire from heaven. And you know what Jesus says to them? You don't know what spirit you're of. Do you know what he said when he said that? Elijah had the wrong spirit. We've gone, look at Elijah, way to go. And Jesus is going, Elijah, that's not what I gave you that authority for. Mess with your thinking 101 right here at the North Gate tonight. One man brings a sword into a garden. You t the most just calls that ever could have been. They're arresting the Son of God. And when he goes to put his ear off, you know what Jesus does? He says, this man is just doing what they've asked him to do. But if we touch him, maybe he'll hear. Let's, let's see, see, what war does is cut people's hearing off. 
And Jesus comes to put their hearing back on so they can hear something besides you're on the wrong side. They can actually hear the message of, I am. I feel the glory. The Lord in here in a big way. I know I'm messing with your thoughts. Apostle Paul taught me that true revelation is sharp and biting and provocative, an ever-present threat to the status quo. Biting, sharp, provocative, and an ever-present threat to the status quo. If what you're calling revelation is not messing with the status quo, it is not revelation. You're just giving Bible basics. And if I have to return again to the basic principles, it's a failure on someone's part. We should be moving into meat. All right, this is meat tonight. All right, and I believe you're ready for it. I'm gonna get ready to close, but I wanna make this point because I think it's important. His intention is for the nature of the entire field to reflect the unique and mesmerizing nature of the treasure or pearl. You agree with that? Let me put it this way. The mesmerizing treasure is the leaven that is intended to awaken the pre-designed intention of the glorious field. Hephzibah leads to Beulah. Hephzibah, your name, you will receive a new name. The new name is, my delight is in you. What will happen as a consequence of that? I'll name your land Beulah and I'll marry your land and your builder sons will come and marry you and we'll start to move some things culturally by way of you saying yes to the revelation of Hephzibah, which means the Lord's delight is in you. How important is it for the treasure to accept that she's mesmerizing to the merchant? The kingdom looks like this. The merchant awakens the treasure to the greatness of its worth and value, and in turn, the treasure awakens the field to its immense value. The kingdom looks like this. The merchant, by way of the price he paid, how will he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, not also freely with him, give us all things? The price was to be the announcement of your value not your behavior. How do you know how much you're worth? It's not how well you're doing. It's how much he paid for you. That's where the dancing comes from. The dancing doesn't come from you having the best spiritual report card in the room. The dancing comes by the revelation that when my report card was something I would have been scared for anybody to see, he paid the highest price imaginable. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, what a revelation. Your worth is in the price that he paid, and the price that he paid was the enfleshment of the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld the beauty of his glory of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. This is you and I. He bought the field because he was mesmerized with the treasure, but he knew if he could awaken the nature of the treasure, the treasure could awaken the nature of the field. And that is Romans 8. It's you being rescued from the futility of self-effort and the cosmos being rescued from the futility of chaos because why? The suns have been unveiled and the cosmos is going, now we don't have to groan so much anymore. So storms start to cease because the cosmos doesn't have to groan in order to get attention. 
the sons are able to tell her how beautiful she is. So I was out on our property. We have 96 acres on our homestead there in Mobile where our church is. And I was walking out on the property and I had been uh, meeting with one of my staff members who was going to oversee the process of doing some thinning and taking off some of the pine trees off of the property so that we could get ready to colonize that whole 96 acres. We have just, we're going to build stuff all over that place. And so I've already, I'm dreaming, scheming, drawing, got stuff in mind of what we're going to do. And I'm like, I'm going to take these trees down right here. And I said, I'm going to take this one tree down. It's an ugly tree. It comes up like this and turns out like that and goes up like this. It's a pine tree, which is kind of a worthless tree to begin with, unless you want to cut it down and do something with it so you can plant some more of them so you can cut them down. But they're just, they just rob the soil of nutrients and they don't do a whole lot. And so I'm ready to take them down. I'm going to plant 100 live oak trees on that 96 acres of land. Jason's shown me how to do that and where to go to do it. We're going to plant these massive live oak trees that are all over the city of Mobile. We're going to have them all over that 96 acres. So I'm getting ready to cut that. I'm going to take that pine tree out right there. And the pine tree said to me, please don't cut me down. The pine tree said, please don't cut me down. I've waited since I was a seedling to see this. I've stood out in this wind and clapped my hands knowing the sons were coming to Mobile, Alabama to establish a homestead that would be a launching pad for the nations of the world. And so I made a covenant with the tree that I would never cut it down. You're an ugly little sucker, but I'll never cut you down because you've cried out to be rescued. I feel this all over my body because I drove around your city and I could see things starting to develop and restaurants starting to come. And I still don't know why. It doesn't make any sense except... The mesmerizing treasure is beginning to speak to the land. We're going to need some more restaurants and we're going to need some new hotels and we're going to need some new industry and we're going to need some new jobs and we're going to need these trees to just be glorious and beautiful. We're going to need walking trails and we're going to need parks and we're going to need golf courses and we're going to need cigar bars. I mean golf courses and walking trails and mountain bike paths. And this is what, this is, these are the things that we're going to need. This is what we're going to need. This is what it's going to take for us to show the cosmos how dearly the creation is loved by the Christ that it wasn't just us that got bought but the whole field got bought the whole city got bought the county got bought the the, the downtown inner city nasty place is as valuable as the treasure and once the treasure knows how valuable it is it walks right into the filth of the inner city and says I am here to shine until you come into agreement with the revelation that you are dearly loved of the father The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Listen, the world and they that dwell therein. He makes sure he covers them both. This is not just about people. This is about people becoming so who they were designed to be that they're able to prophesy to all of creation, get ready, the new you is coming. I'm going to stop for the sake of time, but I had Romans 8. You can go look at Romans 8, 14 through 16, Romans 8, 19 through 23, and then I have about five more pages. So I'll come back in the summertime. <laughs> How... What happens if the treasure does not accept and agree 
with how mesmerizing she is to the merchant. What happens to the next generation if the father doesn't say, regardless of my past, I dare to believe that I'm mesmerizing to the merchant. Not just my past, 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 but even my recent past. But I still believe. And part of my job is when I see him to wrap my arms around him and, and have the glorious honor of recognizing, uh, of recognizing that I represent Almighty Abba in that moment when I put my arms around him and say, you've never not been a son. And then she's able to go. And I can be everything I was designed to be. What happens if you don't get free from the self-effort and the works and the military and the discipline and the not? Then she doesn't ever have the ability to stand up there free as a bird in the wind. Who knows? Daddy ain't judging me. Daddy is saying, go girl, go for it. This This is how big a deal it is that you and I accept that we're the beloved of the Father. You feel it? It's how big a deal it is that we accept that we're mesmerizing to the merchant. I am mesmerizing to the merchant. You're mesmerizing to the merchant. You don't know about it. Shut up. Stop agreeing with the slanderer. You're mesmerizing. You may be a little dirty, but you're mesmerizing. You may still be somewhat in hiding, but you're mesmerizing. And if you don't believe you're mesmerizing, then you don't believe in the incarnation. Because the price says you're mesmerizing whether you believe it or not. If you believe that Jesus became flesh and brought us back into fellowship with his father, you can never legally question your worth again. And here's what I want to mess with you a little bit on. Ty, can you hop up there, buddy? Love having you here, man. Here's what I want to mess with you on. He knew when he bought you, you'd go play around in the dirt and go right back into hiding again. And he takes his spade out and he digs around you again. And then you spend some time being held in his hand and then you go right back into hiding again. And you say yes to the dirt again and you say yes to the filth again. And religion told you, you're going to get to the point he's not going to dig you up anymore. And not even death can separate you from the love of God. The depth, nor breadth, nor height, nor things past, nor things present, nor things to come shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He didn't just know you were going to blow it. He wrote your mistake into your story and is weaving it together to create a glorious tapestry that would be impossible if you had been perfect. So he became perfect. So all you would have to be is loved. And perfect love cast out all fear. I don't know how to close this. I don't really know what to do from here except to say what I see happening here in Streetsboro, what I see happening with the Northgate. As I see one at the time, you're beginning to accept that you're mesmerizing to the merchant and it is reordering things in your city. It'll reorder things in your school system. It'll reorder things in your government. It won't reorder things because a bunch of people who don't know their love get together by by the 5,000s and pray for the next president. 
It didn't work three years ago and it won't work a year from now. But if a handful start to know how dearly they're loved, then we won't have to try to gather a 5,000 people to make a difference. One person can make a difference by themselves because they know I have the ear of the Father and I am decreeing that this is the direction of my city. This is the direction of our school system. This is the direction of our children. And the first fruits witness we have that we are recovering the gospel is you. You are the treasure hidden in the field. You're the, you're the man who mesmerizes the merchant. You feel it. You feel it. You mesmerize the merchant. You mesmerize the merchant. You mesmerize the merchant. Come on, you mesmerize the merchant. You mesmerize the merchant. You mesmerize the merchant. Come on, release the sound of a handful of people. Let's dim the lights if we can. Just release the sound of a handful of people who are daring to believe. You mesmerize the merchant. <laughs> when you are locked up in that jail cell, you mesmerize the merchant. mesmerize the merchant religion says you have to look shiny to be seen as valuable the kingdom says you just have to be in the field because if you're in the field he's coming after you with perfect love come on let's just let ourselves be seen as mesmerizing to the merchant and we respond to him with the worship of one who's assured that we're mesmerizing to the merchant turn around turn around put your hands on her right behind you just Hallelujah. Yeah, right there, right there, right there, right there. There you go. No more shame. No more shame. tonight. Will you agree with me? I accept that I'm mesmerizing to the merchant. I accept it. I'm tired of fighting it. I'm tired, tired of trying to talk you out of loving me well. I receive that you love me perfectly. I just receive that you love me perfectly. Get ready, the new you is coming. The new you is the real you. It's you agreeing with the way he's seen you all along. Get ready, the new you is coming. Just let that love just begin to spill onto you tonight as we... Deep love, perfect love. Perfect, perfect, perfect. 
I want you guys to go back up there and I want you to start singing that he is jealous for me again. He is jealous for me. Just to get the musicians to join back with them. Tina, if you want to just be up there with them. Love is like a hurricane and I am a tree bending beneath the weight and winds of his mercy. chase away every sense of worthlessness present in the room tonight we chase away even a sense of diminished value based on a bad past we declare you are mesmerizing to the merchant thank you for listening to this message from the North Beat if you would like to donate to this ministry please go to www.thenorthgateoh.com and click on the link at the bottom of the homepage.